Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Boundary of Disaster. And we've got a lot to talk about this week, so we're going to skip the preambles and get into it. But this week, as always, we're joined by Matthew Willis. Good evening, man. Good evening. Great to be here. And we're joined by Ellie Bernard. Hello, Ellie. Hello. Nice to be here. Nice to see you both. Yeah, it's been a bit of a week and we've we've been wanting to do this one for a bit because we have three topics. We're calling this episode Japan Too Much Money and Not Enough because there's just three things to talk about, really. The Japanese Grand Prix, the cost capping hashtag that is doing the rounds, and of course the sad news that W Series will not be completing the last handful of races that they had, which means Jamie Chadwick is champion for the third time on the bounce. But we're going to start with Japan. Matt, what did you think of the race? Um, what did I think of the race? Um, it, was, it, it wasn't it was much of a race, but again, it, like a bit like the previous one, there was a lot going on, just not necessarily competitively. It was, again, some really worrying safety issues. Um, I was some really kind of confusing and... and slightly annoying um, regulatory and points related issues and it just seems like this is kind of the pattern at the moment um, that that we seem to be following Yeah and again this sort of weird so called extreme wet tyre that doesn't actually seem to work in the wet any better than than an inter and you'd think they'd figure that out after all these years but that's by the by Ellie you sort of came to it a bit late being a student. You weren't going to get up at six o'clock in the morning for a three-hour rain delay. What did what did you think of it when you woke up and saw what had happened? Well, I was I was awake at 6am. I watched the pre-race and then it got to probably about lap three and I fell asleep. And then by the time I woke up, it was Max Verstappen, you are the world champion. You're on the podium as well. And it was all over. But from what I have managed to watch on the good old tinternet. Yeah, it looked a bit like Singapore, just a bit uneventful. And then, you know, some fantastic safety regulations, another tractor on the track and poor Pierre Gasly getting 20 seconds and two penalty points for driving past a tractor that shouldn't have even been there. Yeah, so what actually happened there? Because it looks, what was it? Um, Science just aquaplaned off on a strange part of the track, picked up a whole pile of advertising hoarding that he then deposited on Gasly, who went round, changed his nose, and they put it at a safety car. I guess, Matt, from from your standpoint, and your, your elder statesman on this podcast, like my, my good self, we, we, we remember the, the bad old days of all kinds of carnage and, and things going on. Of course, it was at Suzuka that Jules Bianchi aquaplaned off and, and hit almost exactly the same type of tractor. Just sort of describe, if someone hasn't seen it yet, what happened with Gasly as he was coming up to it, because he was trying to catch up to the back of the pack on the safety car. Yeah, and, and this was exactly the scenario that we had with Jules Bianchi, and it was exactly the scenario that was supposed to never be able to happen again with the various rules that were introduced. Um, basically, as, exactly as you described it. So um, you had science kind of come off the track in an area where there wasn't a lot of space, and he basically just went straight into the to the barriers and... and dumped a load of debris Gasly picked up a big advertising hoarding which was draped over the nose of the car and how he could even see anything with that thing on it so he comes around safety car picks up the the main group and they're going around at safety car speed the tractor has raced out and is literally on the as it was at Monza it's not we're not just talking about on the circuit in general terms it was on the actual tarmac of the track um Suzuka, as we know, built in the 60s, it's narrow by modern standards. There's not a hell of a lot of room for racing cars. Um, and this, you had this tractor, which was approximately half um, half on, on the track and half in the gravel track, recovering Sainz's Ferrari. Um, and this was bad enough with the cars behind the safety car, which was still moving, and passing this um, tractor with very little space, really, in the scheme of things, very little visibility with the spray. And I, again, I, I haven't been able to get quite a an impression of what the difference between the in-car camera 
um, visibility and the visibility of the actual driver was. But if it's if it, if the visibility was put it this way, if the visibility was anything like what we saw through the cameras, then it was just a horrendously dangerous situation where you couldn't really see anything until you were on top of it. Gasly came past it because he was going quicker than the rest of the pack because he was trying to pick up the rest of the pack, which again was exactly the situation that Jules Bianchi was in back in 2000 and whenever it was. And this is a situation that the virtual safety car was supposed to alleviate, but we weren't under virtual safety car. We were under normal safety car. And, um, you know, you see from the in-car footage that, that he came he came upon this tractor with no warning whatsoever. And had he been a few feet over to the left, he would have hit it. And we saw the in-car footage from other cars that, that weren't that weren't going around to pick up the, the back of the pack, but they were still moving at a decent enough speed under the safety car. And I think it was Joe who was very close to it. And it looked like inches from collision and, and with no warning that this thing was there. And again, this is the difference, you know, whether there's a difference between the, the camera, which is, you know, up on the airbox and probably more in the spray than the driver's face is, but, you know, it's still not great the other thing that that irked me about this was was people then rushing on to kind of defend it and to say that oh well Gasly was going too fast he should have known there was stuff on the track it was under double waved yellow so he should have been going at a speedway prepared to stop none of to, to my mind none of that matters because you've got human error and you've got sort of subjective human judgment and there are always going to be circumstances when that lets you down and accidents can happen if you've left the physical circumstances for an accident to happen. So that's why I'm unhappy about that. Well, I did see a really heartbreaking interview that Pierre gave to, I think, probably Sky from where I've seen it, saying basically when that happened, he was he, he was into it, looked like he was about to start crying, genuinely terrified for his life. He's like, if I had gone off like signs had, I would be dead. And he knew Jules and he was saying just how terrifying it is and how this should never happen. And I've seen the videos of the tractor on the track and it shouldn't happen. Not in modern day F1 where there are so many other scenarios. There shouldn't be a chance where the drivers should be in danger under a safety car like that. And of course, in the wet, it's always extra dangerous and there's always aquaplaning and things like that. But after what happened to Jules, it shouldn't happen again. There should be much more in place to stop it from happening again. And the rules have failed us, or failed the drivers. And there was a really interesting tweet that the FIA did backing their decision. I think they just can't even attempt to admit they're wrong because they know they are. But they don't want to admit that because that doesn't do them any good. Or That means they've got to do something and they don't want to. They don't want to take accountability for what what could have happened. Yeah. And I think the thing to remember is that this is a group of young drivers who have lost two friends. So they grew up with Jules being the one just in front of them. And then they lost the mate Antoine Hubert in not safe, you know, not a tractor incident, but that horrible crash at Spa a few years ago. So, you know, for, for, for those of us that remember, you know, watching, watching Ayrton and um, uh, Roland Ratzenberger accidents, um, goodness, what is that? 28 years ago now um you know that that lives with us but for these for these young racing drivers who are on the up to to be in that situation you can you can see it and i thought pierre's um interview i think i watched the same one as els did was very moving it it was there was a lot of anger and there was a lot of um upset in it that came across and you know the the FIA statement I thought was was crass, considering in the previous race when there was that clip of the marshals pulling the wing out of the tires, they put a tweet and a statement out immediately saying that the marshals were not on track when that clip had been shown. It was a, a, a repeat, a, a replay, and yet a, a week later they allow a tractor, and I think it's four marshals are on on the circuit at the same time. It's um, yeah, it's disgusting. And, you know, let's be clear, the 22nd penalty was for speeding in the previous sector, wasn't it? So it wasn't speeding in the same sector. He had slowed him down. Um, 
I believe. Probably right. But this yeah, is that's correct. Yeah. Um but again, to my mind, it does not matter. Because yeah. even if he'd been driving like a complete idiot, it was still not his responsibility that that tractor was where it should not have been. And um these are two different these are two entirely separate issues. And as Elle said, it was you get aquaplaning. You know, it's it, you can you can get aquaplaning on any part of the track, and the driver is then a passenger. And it's particularly with the you know, as you mentioned, the tires. The tires are, are dreadful. We used to have much better wet tires. The Bridgestone tires from the late nineties were be- better than the tires that they're using now in the wet. And the, it's the reaction of the FIA that's that's so disappointing because again, you've got the FIA. It's kind of marking its own homework. And and there was you had this situation where they were in a rush to get the race underway and to actually get some racing laps because of the the, the time limit, the clock running down. Um, and I think because of that, there was this imperative of to to try and get the the car off the track and get them racing again. And it's not good enough. And I think the fact that if you had the FIA, when these things happen, if they came out and said, this isn't good enough, we're actually going to get our house in order now, then I think everyone would would be fine with that. But it's just, we've had three races now with really kind of nasty safety issues. And after Jules, that, you just don't, and after, you know, and after Antoine and, and, this is a dangerous sport, we know it is, but it doesn't have to be needlessly dangerous. And like you were saying um, a minute ago about how they were rushing to get the car off the track and to get the race underway because they were under pressure. We've said it before on this podcast, and we'll say it again. F1 has gotten far too monetized and not it's not prioritizing the driver's safety, which is what should be. the, the mm-hmm. A race should be about watching the drivers compete. It shouldn't be a. It shouldn't be a worry every time watching it, thinking, "Why are they doing that? It's already dangerous enough. Why add extra pressure just because you want to speed things along?" That is not how it should be. The FIA are there to make the rules and to keep the sa- the sport as safe as possible, and instead they are toying with these rules that shouldn't be there. They should. They should. After Jules. After. Antoine, after all of these things, there should be better rules in place to keep these drivers safe if they want this to keep going. And with the, um, they think because maybe, maybe it's because they think they're charging so much they've got to get a race underway. But I think anyone would rather watch a long race than pay to watch a race where a driver has crashed and died. Mm-hmm. I don't think any nobody will want that. We all want to watch the racing. We don't want to watch a horrific safety incident, and that is what is going to happen at some point. It feels like a miracle that we've avoided one this season. There's still what five races to go. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Mm. And yeah, we're going to places where again, uh, when we get down to Brazil, it is it, a high chance it's going to be very wet. Mm. Um. And again, that's an old school track, not a lot of runoff, safety cars prevalent there. Um, and then the, the Mickey Mouse ones out in the desert, there's, you know, you can just disappear off into the, the horizon there. So that's not really too much to worry about. But let's let's just wrap this one up with one more thing on the FIA. The time limit rules for points that were introduced after Spa last year were written in a way that as a business analyst, I love because... They completely cancelled each other out the two rules that stated whether or not full points or minimum points should be awarded. So by stopping the race and starting the race again and then cutting it short, that actually meant it was it was a full um, full Grand Prix and full points. So Max Verstappen is world champion. And I think one of the things that bugged me about all of that was the confusion over the race finishing when it did because it hit the three hour limit so it was the lap that the lead driver was on when he crossed the line Perez and Leclerc were having a fantastic battle um, Leclerc broke himself ran over ran over the curb and they gave him a five second penalty for that which was incredibly fast um, which meant that that was the extra point that Verstappen needed. Now, I'm going to say this again. 
<laughs> depending on what we talk about next, this season, Verstappen is a deserved champion. He's had the tools and he's done it. You know, it's, it, you know, last year we can, we're going to get onto it again in a minute. But this year, even as someone who doesn't particularly like him, it's been a, a peerless performance. It's, it's what you see champions do when they're given a, a championship car. They just go and they win it. Um, it's it's reminded me a lot this year of, of Mansell 92, just someone who can dance with with the, the tools that they've got. I 100% agree. I'm not the, well, I'm not I'm not a Red Bull fan. Max, I'm a bit more indifferent on, but I really am not a Red Bull fan. But this year, he has driven like the champion that he has become. He really has. Um, and last year, I always say Max deserved the championship in my opinion but Lewis deserved that win in Abu Dhabi but that's my personal opinion on that but this year Max has driven outstandingly and he has not put a foot wrong and he has full-on deserved it and there is no controversy surrounding his win because he's deserved it even if with this Red Bull budget cap I think Max was just unbeatable this year. Yeah I mean I'm reluctantly Mostly agree. Um, I mean, I think it's, <laughs> I don't see it as a especially amazing achievement because I, I genuinely don't think anyone challenged him. And I don't think he had much of a, there was no, there was no real competition of it. At times, Charles and Ferrari w- were able to challenge him, but only very sporadically. And looking at the, the, the performance that Red Bull have put in this year, I say checking this against some previous seasons, Red Bull as a team have been more dominant than Williams in 92 and 93, um, more dominant than Ferrari in 2000 and 2001. And it kind of feels like because the, you know, Ferrari came out of the block so fast, it, it sort of feels like they put up more of a fight than they did, but they did fold very, very quickly. Um, and so not to, well, not to take anything away from Max, you know, it takes a bit away from but you know, he 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 was gonna he was gonna win this year. He was gonna win this year um, with with the combination of of him and the car. You know, he hasn't driven the way he he hasn't he hasn't had the same appalling behaviour on track this year that he has in every other year that he's driven because he hasn't needed to. And you know, with any luck, he will continue to drive that way. Now he's got the monkey off his back. He he will not have to pull those frankly dangerous moves that that are his signature. But yeah, he was going to win it, and but this is a, and again, I mean, it it, it actually it, it takes away a little bit from his achievement the way that he won it, and it would have been so much better for him if it had gone on to the next race, and he'd won it there, and you know he could have had the radio message from from Christian Horner over the radio, Max, you are the world champion, um, <clears throat> and all that stuff, and you know had the fireworks and probably just as well, um. But yeah, you know, and it's and it's it's bad for him that he learns it from Johnny Herbert on the podium in a kind of anticlimactic way. But it gives this sense that the the FIA was trying to get it out of the way before certain other things that we'll come on to. And this is the problem: is that not necessarily that there was anything untoward, but they're really going out of their way to make it look like something is. Yeah. And let's get on to that, shall we? So in Singapore, or just after Singapore, a statement was released by the FIA in regards to speculation about two teams breaching last year's cost cap. And it said significant and unsubstantiated speculation and conjecture in relation to this matter is running rampant. So they basically blamed the fans for going on and on about it. And then the Monday after the race at what was it, four o'clock in the afternoon, something silly like that, they announced that Red Bull had overspent the cost cap and were in breach, and Aston Martin had a procedural error. So they had not overspent, they just basically filed their tax return wrong. They also said Red Bull had a procedural error. It's everything that we were speculating and you know being naughty about came true. Now, I'm going to ask you guys this first. Matt, What's from the weird week it's been so far on this? What's your feeling on it? Well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not 
at all surprised. It, um, last all last year, I was wondering how uh, Red Bull was staying within the cost cap with all the upgrades they were bringing and the, the the performance they were continually bringing to the car and the fact that you know Mercedes didn't even use all of their tokens and so it it, it doesn't surprise me in the least to hear that they were they might have overspent and a, and a minor overspend is considered every anything up to 5% which works out as i think 7.25 million dollars so you know it's not very minor um if that's the kind of amount that we're talking about i mean i've heard various you know varying things from you know two million but even two million is a lot of front wings um i think well you know i could go on and on and on about it but i just think it stinks frankly and i will just say hazel you know made the 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 point last week last time that it was a first tryout for the, the cost cap um everyone was new um and it was new to the FIA and it was kind of a year of figuring out how it would work. And so it's not a massive surprise that not everyone got it right. On the other hand, everyone got it right apart from Aston Martin and Red Bull and everyone stayed within the spending limits apart from Red Bull. So, you know, I'm kind of finding it hard to be generous here. Williams were late filing theirs, but, Considering how they've been running their race cars, they've been showing up well after everybody else is. It's not overly surprising. That's on brand for them, isn't it? Yeah. So. There's two Williams fans. But that was not a procedural breach. That was not considered a procedural breach, though. The fact yeah, that they that, were late. I think it was just late. They got a fine, didn't they? Was it 25? Oh, was it? Grant, something silly like that. Ellie. I think that the next time I go over my overdraft, that's the excuse I'm going to give my bank. <laughs> That's what I think. Um, I, I completely agree with Matt. I completely agree that last year it did seem very iffy how they kept bringing new... Every single weekend, there was a new upgrade. There was something different or whatever. And even Toto said it in an interview once. I can't remember what race, but I did find it out the other day. He even said in an interview, I'd like to know how Christian Files his reports or something like that basically basically talking about how they'd bought they said oh what do you think of red bull's new upgrades and toto had said something like that it it just does it the fact that they are probably not going to do anything feels sour because of how they have handled things like this in the past and the fact that they've said it that red bull have said it as catering issues or something like that but it's like well are they probably are they just firing a front wing under a under catering, is that actually just they are they calling that a chick, a new chicken wing type of thing? The front wing chicken wing or something. But I don't know. It or just, I it all just feels a bit iffy and considering how the rest of the season has gone with Max's penalties and other people getting penalised and not him, it all just feels very like the world is against everyone else. And like I said, the fact that everyone else managed to stay in budget is just kind of ridiculous that it is Red Bull that have gone over a team that should know better and have some of the best engineering and financial minds in motorsport in the world that they've somehow managed to go over this budget. Yeah, absolutely agree with all of that. And credit to Adam, who's um, um, sadly can't be with us here tonight, but he did find this quote from, from Christian Horner to Sky TV after the Monaco Grand Prix, where Christian Horner says... I am convinced that all the main teams will go beyond the $140 million um, cap budget threshold. What is the penalty for a slight violation? Because an upgrade costing $4.5 million can make a difference in the race for the World Championship. Yep. I mean... And it did. And this, this attitude that... Was obviously, you know, this, this attitude that everyone's breaking the rules. And you get this in motorsport. And... You know, I, Tom Walkinshaw apparently, you know, was fond of saying no legal car ever won a race. And I find that, you know, this and, you know, Tom Walkinshaw, who let's let's remember, was was at Benetton in 1994. But this attitude that, that is kind of prevalent in parts of the motorsport that, that, you know, it's the only rule you shouldn't break is don't get caught. And it's I, it sucks and it needs to be dealt with. The noises coming out of Red Bull gives me that sense that they are one of those teams that think that the only sin is getting caught. 
And I don't think that's true across the board, across the grid. I don't think that's, I don't think everyone thinks like that. And it's like doping in cycling or anything like that. It's, it's once you've convinced yourself that everyone's doing it, that that's the justification that you give yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the Lance Armstrong thing that everyone was doing it. He was just doing it a lot better than everybody else. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it taints the whole thing. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say nothing significant is going to happen. And there's going to be serious ramifications going forward because whatever the FIA do is precedent, which immediately means the cost cap's gone up by 5% because everyone's going to start budgeting for whatever that penalty is. They're not going to do a points deduction. They don't want to reopen the 2021 can of worms because all their decisions this year have been showing how they've been trying to put that behind them. But... This is Formula One. This is where precedent rules or tries to. And with the president of the FIA saying, we stick to the rules. And if they're fining Lewis for wearing jewelry, are they actually going to have the, the gumption to do something serious to one of their, their main brands? And let's be fair. They are putting them and F1 are putting all their eggs in the Max Verstappen basket, back it, basket. So I just don't think it's going to happen. There's loads. Um, yeah, I've got the race open here. Everyone's saying, oh, the punishment's got to have teeth and all this sort of business. No, because I don't think they have it. They have it in them. There will be a fine. There will be a reprimand. And that'll be it. That's 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 what I think is going to happen. I think I did actually make a tw- tweet on Twitter from my personal account saying I love that the FA are more concerned with jewellery safety than the driver's safety on track or something like that. But it it is kind of mental how much they've been going after Lewis this year and then something like this has happened and you just know it's going to be a slap on the wrist and it's going to be a thing like, Red Bull found a loophole, it's now illegal, it wasn't before, sort of thing. But like you said, now all these other teams are going to, just like you say, if it's not that bad, they're going to factor that in. saying, well, if we can afford to bring a couple more upgrades, that's what we're going to do. Because I'm sure they'd rather do that than stick within the budgets and not get a little bit of a fine. If there's if there's a couple of points in the championship, as the way there was last year, then of course you're going to risk, now they're going to risk, you know, a million here, a million there. Um, just just to sort of bring that slightly tweaked rear wing or whatever, and that's the way it's going to be. But I think the problem, and and the, this is this was the problem with the safety at the Japanese Grand Prix, and it's the problem with the cost cap, which is that the FIA is too involved in the business of the sport, and they're making decisions based on what is good or bad for business rather than what is good or bad for the sport. Um, and even those things, I think that what is or what is right and wrong within the sport and um there's a problem now where i think the consequences for the sport being f1 liberty and the fia would be worse for giving max a proper yeah and giving red bull a proper punishment the consequences for that would be worse as they see it than for letting it go and essentially pushing the the cost cap up by 5% for teams that can afford to do so. I think what they see is the consequences are are worse for for doing the right thing than for doing the wrong thing. And that's just, I I hate it, but that's, I think, the way it is. I have to agree with you, unfortunately. It's going to be interesting, I think, whatever happens. I'm losing, losing faith in... In this in this sport's ability to, to, to govern govern itself because it's it's never been particularly good at it. But again, those of us of a certain age will remember one M. Mosley Esquire, QC, um, <laughs> who find a team and kick them out of a championship, ten million pounds for stealing stuff and ninety million pounds for the personality running that team. So if Ron Dennis was that bad, just imagine what Horner's going to get slapped with. But that's something different. It, it's I don't think there's anyone in Formula One or the FIA who would be as ballsy as Mosley was over the um, 
the stolen dossier that McLaren got their hands on. I, I don't think there's there's a personality there willing to go to war with the team bosses like that. Max no, was. I don't think so. No, I don't. They're, they're not going to take that on. So they're, they're too they're too involved in the business of the sport to do anything that's that negative for the business of the sport. And part of it is is once you've made that admission that this thing is really bad then, as you say, you set a precedent and, and anyone doing that in future is it knows that they're crossing a line that, that there will be serious consequences for. But, um, you know, I, I don't think... I think the the problem... Or, you know, we're, we're in the long kind of wake of the long Mercedes winning streak and the long Lewis Hamilton winning streak and that being bad for business. And a lot of decisions I can't help feeling are sort of in response to not wanting that to continue um, and wanting something different. And Max is box office. He's always been treated leniently because of that. And his team is, is, you know, Red Bull is just a toxic mess in so many ways. And yet they're just allowed to kind of get on being Red Bull because it brings the fans in apparently that's true because my friends who don't like who didn't like lewis hamilton they will completely agree with you there saying they were sick of the winning streak they prefer it when sort of someone wins a couple and then it's someone else wins a couple and we don't have these long winning streaks and i think that that the fia have noticed that in people my age and so they've allowed it to let it let it go like you say too business-minded they shouldn't be worried about what us fans want they should be worried about the sport and the drivers and that should be their concern and let F1 handle the business side of it all. And and people will just remember the winning streak. They don't remember the battles. They don't remember the Rosberg year, the Seb, the two Seb years with, and the second one with, with Charles there as well. Those were not easy championships. Yes. Mm-hmm. On one of them, he wrapped them up a bit easy, but the, for a long time in those seasons, um, not the Rosberg one aside, because that went down to the wire, of course. But you know, the the Ferrari seasons when they had the the, the juiced engine, those were great years because it was it was tight. They had proper wheel, literal wheel banging in um, uh, Azerbaijan, wasn't it? When Seb oh, yeah. <laughs> went a bit nuts. Break dust. We're, we're going to miss Seb. Um, but you know, it's those were great seasons. Yes, Lewis won the championship in them and he set records along the way, but they were not easy. He was not walking it. And I think that's what people forget. They just see the number. They don't see the effort that went into it. Yeah, 100%. And I think that the three years where Lewis was, was fighting Nico, you know, they were not easy championships. Nico was a damn good driver. He was very, very fast. And uh, he pushed Lewis incredibly hard. And I think actually in 2014, there wasn't much in it. Uh, and then Lewis kept getting better, and Nico, I think, hit his peak and recognised that, and that's that's when he retired. And I think there are two, you know, you can see it two ways in the terms of the long the long winning streaks, and it was the same with Michael Schumacher that you can see it as as getting a bit boring and nobody really offering a proper challenge and just kind of knowing what the what's going to happen with the season before it ends, and it kind of just you can get bored by it and you can get switched off by it, and I can understand that. Or you can look at it in terms of one of the great achievements within the sport and you're witnessing the development of a great driver and a great career and a great legacy and you, you've got the privilege of watching that. And I think, uh, you know, people who got to see Juan Manuel Fangio um, in the 50s, you know, I can't imagine any a few years later, maybe at the time it's like, oh, you know, Juan Manuel's won again. But, you know, to see four championships on the trot at the time is had never been done before. And not just in F1, in Grand Prix racing generally. It's a privilege to watch that, I think. And it probably might not seem like it at the time. But as you say, you know, there's two years with Seb. And, and I think partly there there was a sense of, of Ferrari's really quite epic ability to screw up a potentially winning position. And I don't think we should underestimate just how often that happens, but you know, they were, they, they gave particularly in the first half of those seasons, they gave Lewis an incredibly hard time and, and he stepped up and he improved his performance and the team improved their performance. And that was actually a good thing to watch. And I think 
you know, I can see it both ways because I, I got bored with Schumacher winning all the time. I was never a fan of him. I didn't enjoy seeing him win season after season. Um, but again, even then, you know, there were a couple of seasons within that long winning streak where, um, you know, maybe it was Williams one year or McLaren another year, gave him a bit of a fight. And then obviously Fernando Alonso and Renault came along and, and they actually gave him a proper fight and kicked his ass. And that was what everyone wanted to see. So I was, you know, for all, I'm not, I'm not much of a fan of Alonso the guy either, but you know, I, I was happy to see him beat Michael Schumacher at the time. And I can imagine people are the same with, with Max Verstappen. You know, I will never enjoy watching Max Verstappen win because I dislike him that much. You know, I think that I think that's legitimate, frankly. But you know, a lot of people won't. But anyway, you know, that's how I feel. Well, in 2020, when Lewis won, I remember Dad saying to me, "Oh, I feel like one of those Schumacher fans that I hated so much, and now I've become one." <laughs> and it's one of those things that will always stick with me. And then, of course, he didn't win the next year. So, in my head, I was a bit like, "Oh, Dad, did you jinx it?" But <laughs> yeah, the, the thing the thing to remember about yeah about michael was he we saw him getting better you know the mm. you know ni- ni- 91 um the, the belgian race with um uh, jordan and then jumping ship to, to benetton i remember when he won belgium the next year for benetton um which was a turn up for the books um it was that wet dry race wasn't it mm, mm. um uh, and which was one of the few races that year where the Williamses just didn't work at all. I remember my dad turning to me and saying, that boy's going to be world champion. And then the following year, just him sitting there ready to pick off the Williamses again, if anything went wrong was something else. And then, you know, whatever, you know, they still go on about, you know, traction control and all that rubbish in 94. But I remember that season vividly and he was, Okay, I'm caveating this. He's kind of where Max is now, raw and fast, and can win lots of races. I think the Michael that then showed up in 2000 at Ferrari was the finished was the finished deal that went on that run um, in those those first years of the, of the Noddies where they were just incredible. And I think and- we're we're at that point now with with Lewis where he is the finished article. He's you know he's LeBron. He's he's the guy. Yeah, totally. And I and I think part of Michael's ability was to to attract that to assemble that team around him. I've been guilty of focusing on that a lot in the past rather than his skill on the track which, you know, it was peerless at the time. I think there's no there's no two ways about it. And this often happens with with drivers in this sort of they they hit the peak of their speed and maybe they lose a touch of speed but they gain in so many other areas that just allows them to keep on winning and winning and winning. You know, because, you know, even Prost was, you know, he was fearsomely fast in his young days. And then, you know, he, he developed into a, a different kind of driver that was still able to, to, to win at will, really, when the circumstances were right. But, um, you know, with, with Schumacher as well, I think it was because he'd assembled that formidable team and everything was, he'd kind of got what, what uh, Mark Donoghue mm. um, called the unfair advantage which really is a perfectly fair advantage. It's just you, you you make sure you've got everything in place and everything around you. And I'm not sure Max is that kind of driver yet. And I think this was the same with Seb at, at, at Red Bull, actually, is the team happens to assemble. You've got, the, you've got everything in place there, and then you've got the driver that can make use of it. And, you know, Seb was just peerless with the uh, exhaust-blown diffuser. And yeah, you know, that wasn't his only strength as we saw at Ferrari a bit later on. But, you know, once he had all the cards in his favour, he just, no one could beat him. And I think that's the situation with, you look at Fernando Alonso, whose ability on track is so amazing. And yet he never could get all that other stuff lined up behind him. And in a sense, I think he kind of made it worse and he sort of, you know, doing things like trying to bribe the mechanics um, when your teammate's beating you, allegedly, that we'll add for the lawyers because, you know. Um, well, you know, Nando can sue me. I'll write a memoir. The difference with those drivers like like Lewis, I think, in, in the, you know, from 2014-15 onwards, I think it was just it was just monumental to see his development and, and the way he would develop with the team and just, just what he was capable of and, and 
actually it was a privilege to watch him blowing everyone away. And I can understand why some people wouldn't like that because, you know, we're supposed to like an underdog. But uh, it's, I don't feel like Max is an underdog because I think he's been like, it feels like the path has been being prepared for him for a very long time. And he's taken his sweet time about actually winning a title. Yeah, people forget that everybody hated the Bulls in the 90s. Everybody hated the Yankees after that. Everybody hated Manchester, still hate Manchester United and having some lovely chef and food, watch, watching them basically, basically be Ferrari at the moment. But, I you would know, never the, not love that. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it is one of those things that when you're on top, everyone's swinging at you. And I think what, you know, for, for, for those of us that grew up watching this sport in the, in the 80s and the 90s, and the 2000s, we got to see a series of drivers do what the new generation has really only seen Lewis do. Um, and I think, you know, that's the difference. For all of his many, many, many faults, you know, PK, Mansell, Prost, Senna, you know, uh, Schumacher, uh, you know, and then the guys who didn't win the championships, you know, people forget just how remarkable Juan Pablo Montoya was on his day, um, took took that fight to them. Uh, Kimi as well in the McLaren days, you know, my goodness. And unfortunately, the crop that's come through hasn't really lived up to it. And you have had one team that's just done a better job than everybody else for a long while. But mm. there we go. Anyways, let's... It, it feels like a, f- a field in which we had Hamilton, uh, Alonso and Vettel should have given us more fights than we had. But yeah, yeah. I more title fights. I think. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to go out and say I'm making a statement here. I dislike Alonso more than I dislike Verstappen. Tough. One. I would. I I agree with you on that. I yeah. I remember those that that double that double championship year. That was that was fantastic. Um, the year with Lewis was amazing. Um, the fallout from that was just really petty. But he. He just really annoys me. The, the, his in, in, inability to hold his hands up, and this weird um, aura that you know the the motor racing fraternity has with him—that he's this sort of special thing that we should be happy that he's around. No, he had two great championships, and he's still you know he's still been a, a really good driver. But I have, if I was a betting man, I'd put five quid on Alpine being really good next year because you want to get his seat whenever he leaves because the car gets yeah. really good. Anyways, let's 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 start wrapping this up because we have one more topic. So the rumor about Red Bull is that it's about what seven and a half million dollars that the 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 overspend is, and we won't talk about the newy stuff because that's just conjecture that we're having a lot of fun with in our group chat, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Join us on Patreon. We can have the group chat on Discord and we can get into this. There it is. Um, see the link below. But W Series has announced that they are not going to complete their last um, couple of races, which are a real shame. It would have been an American swing, which would have been an incredible um, visibility for them and their drivers. And the rumor is it is about $7 million that hasn't come through in funding, which means that they um, are unable to continue. So that means Jamie Chadwick is champion again which is well-deserved. I think she's only made one mistake this year, and that was at Singapore when she just clearly got a bit frustrated getting stuck in um, in that train. But I for, I, for one, think this is a great shame. And I'm actually going to go to your old publication, Matt, because yesterday Charles Bradley um, did an opinion piece, and he, he wrapped it up with with this, which I think is quite telling. He says, W series should be a means to an end, but if what happens next doesn't lead to the ultimate destination, when the dream of producing the next female formula one racer will mean that a dream. And if you take away the middle rungs of the ladder, then you've got very, I think there's a missing a very little chance of them getting to the top. Anyway, needs editing autosport. You know, you have gone downhill, ladies and gentlemen. Um, And where is F1 in all of this? He continues. It's not great optics when you claim we race as one to champion diversity and then to stand by and watch something fail that actually delivers that. I'm not suggesting that it should bankroll or underwrite W Series as a business, but it should certainly do all it can to offer further assistance to ensure that it doesn't die. 
The day the W Series should end is when it becomes the norm for female racers to be well represented because it is then that it has served its purpose. But I fear that is a long way off in the future. And I think that's very well put because that's kind of my feelings on it. I agree with the man whose name I cannot remember whose thing you just said. Charles Bradley. I think it is a great shame. It should be a means to an end. It should be a stepping stone, not where female female racing drivers get stuck. And I think it's a great shame that no teams have shown interest in Jamie um, picking her up as a development driver or a young or in a team or whatever, because she is a talent to be reckoned with. And I think if you put her in equal machinery with a lot of drivers on the grid, she would whip them silly. And the fact that it's run out of money and that we might, is it been confirmed that it's not coming back next year? Is that? Catherine Bonmuir is insisting that they will be doing everything they can for next year. But I think one of the question marks is whether or not they can afford to still be on the F1 bill. Yeah, it is such a shame because exactly that. Saying we race as one, I mean, when I was at Silverstone, I was looking everywhere for a we race as one merch, nothing anywhere. If they're all about making money, you'd think that's something that they would do. Um, Apparently not. But the fact that they have a chance to make a dent in their so-called mission and have failed so gloriously really is sad because if they claim we race as one, we see women in the F1 in the future, then why would they not be doing everything in their power to help these women get somewhere within F2 or F3? Why, why would you leave them? They're stuck. And there are so many women waiting to go in to W Series or trying to get in or in F2 or well not F2 in F3 or regional Formula 4 or all over the world that that need this chance and yet now it's been taken away from them I think it's a great shame I think that as a woman it really hurts me because Formula 1 is such a male dominated sport and it's it's time for a change it's time for some extra some extra eyes to make it a bit better. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. I think, you know, F1 should have been using this as an opportunity to make up for a lot of lost time. I mean, the last, when was the last time a woman attempted to qualify for a Grand Prix was, I think, 1992. And the last time a woman raced, actually raced in a Grand Prix was, I think, in the 70s. Women can race competitively with men. We know this. This is not news. They just need the opportunities to to bring them through the, the ladder. Um, they need the sponsorship. They need the places in the teams. And for whatever reason, it's these things which are not happening. And whether the, the, you know, there's the, the conservatism of sponsors or teams or investors in the sport. And this is, you know... The viewing figures for, for W, for a junior series, for a series that's below Formula 3, its viewing figures have just been ridiculous. I mean, it's just, and going up and up year on year. And, and it's got, you know, with Channel 4 in the UK, this was on the, um, um, in 2019 season, and then they were with Sky. And I think they had sort of 400,000 viewers the first year, and it's it's sort of over half a million the next. And it's just, just for the Silverstone race, this was. And it's crazy that, that the money isn't there to... I don't understand why the money isn't there. And relatively small amounts of money. I just do not understand with its profile and with, you know, with the need to get... The fact that there's such a market out there. Yeah, you know, as we keep talking about motorsport, and F1 in particular is a business, the market there is in that 50% of the population... Why is the sport not just going hell for leather to actually make this happen? I cannot understand it. It does not make any sense to me. There's an entire strata of sponsors that just need the nudge to jump. And it's it's beyond me. Maybe they're hesitant to, to make a move into what they would probably see as a male-dominated area. Um, I think in Jamie Chadwick that W Series has the, the the hero they needed to to be that person, and she desperately needs to to move on to fulfil that. And I think all, all winds are blowing to indie lights, aren't they? For 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 Jamie, which would be fantastic, actually. But 
it is really heartbreaking. And you know, Hazel, who also sends her apologies, everybody told us she was in the 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 call um, when uh, Catherine made the announcement, and it was clear that they had literally not slept to try to make sure that that hasn't happened. So we hope that they'll be back next year, and we do wish Catherine all the best in her efforts um, to secure that funding. And you know, I just feel really sorry for the drivers who had the opportunity to race in front of two incredible crowds in Austin and Mexico, that they're not going to be able to to do that. But there we are. So believe it or not, we've got a bit of a break now before the next race, which is going to be quite nice. Um, we just have to wait to see what the FIA do. Um, speculation and Formula One Twitter are in meltdown, as you would expect. We will return and dissect it later. But I think that's it. Ellie has a charity cr- lacrosse event to get to, so we can't keep her waiting anymore. And, uh, you know, Matt and I are getting old. I need to put slippers on and go to bed. So, Good luck, Ellie. Yes, have fun, Ellie. And thank-, thank you. Celebrating our win. <laughs> so thank you very much for joining us, Matt. Thank you. And thank you, Ellie. Thank you. And thank you, Dad. Bony. Uh, yeah, that, that, that'll, that'll do. Dad works. Um, <laughs> that's weird. Editing that out. So until next time, we have been the boundary of disaster. Thanks for listening and take care of yourselves. Thanks for sticking around and listening to this episode of Boundary of Disaster. Please, if you can, like and subscribe, leave us a review because that would be amazing. It helps with all the algorithms and that means people can find us a little bit easier. Of course, if you can tell your friends as well, you never know, they might start listening to us as well, which would be ace. If you fancy supporting us, there's a Patreon page. The link is in the description. Also check out the other links. We've got a link tree there that goes to all of our socials, including the new TikTok, which Ellie has got up and running and the rest of us still don't know much about. So until next time, thank you so much. Bye.